We are together really, really glad that you're here. Um, we're doing this because, because next week, Hanny's going to be traveling. Part of the uh, vision of City River is that we reach beyond our doors here into our city, but beyond our city into the nations. Hanny's I'm going to Jordan and Dubai. Silva will be coming with me to Jordan. I'm joining a number of uh, some of the guys. We're going to be heading to Dubai for a few days just to connect with the church there and to open relationships and dialogue. And the Lord has some interesting things planned for the time in Jordan. It's going to be a time of gathering between some of the Arab leaders in Egypt and Lebanon and Syria and Iraq, as well as the Messianic Jewish leaders from Israel. The, the time will be very interesting. It's going to be focusing on Isaiah 19 and what Isaiah 19 stands for in terms of the uh, connection between Egypt, Assyria, and Israel and the highway that the Lord is building between all these three to establish a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So pray for us, and I'll come back with reports when I get back. Today is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we remember on Friday, we remember the, uh, the death, the crucifixion, and the suffering of Jesus. Not in that order, but in the reverse order, the suffering, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. And today we remember and celebrate his resurrection. And we did a pretty good job celebrating. A lot of shouts, a lot of jumping, a lot of screaming. But I wanted to, to take some time and dig into scripture, because it seems that the foundation of everything that we do has to be on the word of God. It's not just a rumor. It's not just a... Uh, hearsay or things that we have heard secondhand, but we need to establish ourselves and be founded and rooted in the Word of God. So I'm going to spend some time with you today looking at that. And the theme, the, the title for today is the, the words on the third day. How many have heard that word before? If you read your scripture, you read that on the third day, he rose. Well, let's have a look at that. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians, and he writes these words. For I handed on to you, as of first importance, what I in turn had received. The first thing that I gave you, the first most important thing that I gave you, is that Christ died for our sins. That's the foundation of everything that we stand for as Christians. We recognize that we ourselves are not able to pay the penalty or the price for our sinfulness. We cannot, we don't have the means, we don't have enough. Our sacrifice, our death, isn't enough to pay for all that we have done. The sin that is in us, the sin that is in our nature, the sin that we have inherited from our parents all the way back to Adam, that we cannot cover that with whatever sacrifice we bring, whether animal sacrifice or ourselves. Somebody who is righteous has to pay the price for the unrighteous. And that's the plan of God. So Christ, who is the perfect human, who was God himself in a human form, came to earth, showed us the heart of God the Father, took upon himself our sin. As a matter of fact, he says he became sin for us. And he died for our sin in accordance with the scripture. And here's the important part. This is why I want to emphasize a look at scripture today as we celebrate and look at the resurrection of Jesus. 
Everything goes back to the scripture. So he says, just as scripture had said, and then he was buried and he was raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and the, and the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. At the time that Paul was writing these things, there is many people that have already seen Jesus in the flesh during the 40 days that he lived on earth before he went to heaven in his ascension. So we're talking about a fact that has been established, witnessed to, and has been prepared for us, and now we inherit it. But the, the, the words here, on the third day, stood out. Stood out as, why pay so much attention, and what's the big deal? Why couldn't it have been, you know, he just rose again? Why is it so important that it's highlighted, I highlighted it here, but it's highlighted in scripture so many times that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, according to Hebrew tradition, the body of a human being can be possibly raised to life if his spirit doesn't go too far from him and he can come back to life in the first day or two. So the fact that it's the third day proves that he was really dead. That's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is that he keeps saying in accordance with Scripture. On the third day, in accordance with Scriptures. So something in the Scripture had to really speak to us for us to understand what it means that on the third day he rose again. So I want to take a few minutes and look at some Scriptures where Jesus talks about his own resurrection. And then others talk about his resurrection. Luke chapter 22. Now the, Jesus had died. He rose again. He appeared to a number of people. And now on the road to a city called Emmaus, these two disciples of his, not the twelve, but many of the others. There was a lot of disciples, but the twelve were the core, the apostles. And as they were walking away, he spoke to them and he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. These three make up the entirety of what we call the Old Testament. The Jewish people call it the Tanakh. T for Torah, Moses. N, or the Na part, the Nevi'im, the prophets. And the K, which is the Ketavim, the writings. So he's saying that everything that has been written in the book that you call your Bible, he's speaking to Jewish people there, everything that you have studied speaks about me and talks about me. And he says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. doesn't say that he gave them spiritual revelation. It doesn't say that he actually revealed it to their spirit. The actual word there is that he opened their understanding and their mind, their intellective capacity to be able to understand, deduce, measure, evaluate, everything that's in our mind. He actually did that with them. A lot of times we in the spirit-filled, charismatic, uh, prophetic stream put every emphasis on the prophetic. But there's a balance between the faculties that God has given us, between the prophetic and the, the, the natural mind that needs to be opened up to receive the things of the spirit and to process them and to land them in the right place. So don't check your mind at the door when you come in. Listen with your mind. To allow your spirit to receive. Weigh the words that are being spoken to you by all of us who speak here. Whether it's a worship leader or pastor, whoever is releasing a word. Weigh it with your mind. Measure it with the, the capacity that God has given to you. 
It's not a dead instrument. It is the design of God to have given us a brain and a mind to be able to measure things and to understand them. So in that capacity, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, it is written this way, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Again, that third day. Not only Paul writes about it in Corinthians, but Jesus, when he opened their understanding, he opened their understanding to understand that he had to be resurrected on the third day. Could there be something there that we've missed? Could there be something important to understand? And that the repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning to, in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples took the message, started to preach it in Jerusalem. And today, you and I here in Canada have received this message. Wherever we have received it, somewhere in the world, you may have received it and come to Canada with it. Some of you may have come to Canada and then understood it. Your mind was opened. Sometimes we are in contexts where the mind is stuck because of the spiritual cloud that we're under. The spiritual cloud puts a barrier... Demonic activity puts a barrier, a, a climate which causes us not to be able to understand with our mind the things that we're supposed to understand. So it's a, it's a combination of things that happen. So when Jesus is talking about this, let us now take a moment and pray together and ask him in the same way that he opened those two disciples' minds to open our minds for the next little while as I share with you. Amen? So let's open our hearts. If you want to posture yourself in a position to receive this from the Lord, maybe you want to hold your hands open, maybe you want to just put your hand on your heart, whatever it is, posture your body now to align with your words as we say this prayer together. Jesus, as you open the eyes of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we ask you now to open our eyes and our understandings to see and to understand what you want us to understand. Open the scripture for us, Lord, and make our understanding open to what you are trying to say through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've received that, expect that this message is going to affect you differently. Expect that the things that you will read on the screen will jump out to you and highlight to you because your mind has now been sharpened by his gift to you in opening your mind to understanding. Amen. So what are some of the things? Let's look at the prophets that he was referring to. He said that the Torah, the book of Moses, that's the five original, the five first books of the Bible. The prophets, that's all the different prophetic people. So we'll look at all of that, some of the prophets and some of the, the, uh, the, the things. So these are the prophets. Daniel was a prophet who was a prisoner of war in exile in Babylon. And then he ended up in Persia. But in Babylon, and he was praying... And the Lord revealed things to him, and he writes it in this prophecy. And he writes it this way in chapter 12. He says that Michael, the great prince and protector of the people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. Since the time that languages were given to humanity to scatter them across the planet. Since that time, there has never been a, a time of anguish like this. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame. He's talking about the last day, the day of resurrection, where every human will rise again from death into this new life that we will receive. And he's talking about a judgment that will take place. And he says, those who are wise will shine. 
like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars for, uh, forever and ever. And he's talking about this happening, and he actually calls it on the third day. Let's look at another passage in Hosea. Hosea writes these words. By the way, he needed to open their understanding because there isn't a specific verse that says, Messiah shall come, suffer, die, and on the third day shall rise again. There's nothing in the Bible that says that about Jesus. There isn't a prophecy that says that he will rise on the third day. But there's much that says that he will rise. There's much that says that he will suffer. There's much that says that he will be born on this day and he will die on this day. And he actually died on the day of Passover. So he was the perfect Passover. But this idea of the hiddenness of the third day was a mystery throughout all of the Old Testament. They never made the connection. So it was only after Jesus opened the eyes of these disciples on the road to Emmaus that this understanding of the third day became a thing. And today you are in a position where the Lord will use the same scriptures, the same understanding that these two disciples had on the road to Emmaus to open your own understanding to the value of the third day and what it means in your life. So in Hosea, come let us return to the Lord for it is he who has torn and he will heal us. He has struck down and he will bind us up. For two days, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise us up. So pay attention to these two days. And pay attention to this third day. Something glorious happens on the third day. You may be walking today in your first or second day. Your life experience may be such that you are walking and part of your journey right now is a painful part. It could be a terrible part. It could be a disastrous part. It could be all kinds of things are going on. But let's look at the scripture and see what kind of things lead to the first and second day. And what does the third day mean in those situations? And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the, sh- like the showers, like the spring rain that waters the earth. So what happened? Let's look at some passages throughout the scripture. And there's tons of them. I've selected just a handful. But I could have put on 20. We would have been here for a whole weekend. But time is short. You know, I do this once in a while. I carry these all the time. I like them because they help open up my nostril, my sinuses, and I can breathe easy. And sometimes I even, when I'm feeling congested at night, slip, slip one into my mouth and sleep with it. And it actually prevents me from snoring sometimes. So Silva is really grateful for this. So these things, when I put them in my mouth, sometimes you don't notice, but I put them in my mouth before I preach. I didn't put them today. Because there was a preacher that every time he would get up and preach, he would take a mint, slip it into his mouth... And he knew that by the time that the mint melted away, time was up for the sermon to be over. So one day he's standing there and he's preaching. And you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, time for the service to be over has come past. And the mint is still intact. And then he realizes maybe something is wrong. And then he feels it with his tongue and he realizes he slipped in his mouth the button from his shirt that had fallen. So thank God, you can see it. It's not a button, it's a mint, all right? And if I find myself going on too long, I'll just chew it and get it out of the way. (laughs) All right. So in the Old Testament, we're going to look at some of these pictures that help us understand what happens on the third day. Genesis chapter 1. 
the days of creation. There was a third day then. That was the first third day. In the third day, God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed. And some of those plants are outside you and you can enjoy them after we're done with the service. There's going to be plenty of plants that have been used in a lot of the good food that we have. All the joch food that we have outside, right? Okay. He called those plants vegetation. He put vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bears fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seeds in it. And God saw that it was good. There was morning, excuse me, there was evening and there was morning the third day. Something happened on that third day. Earth was reborn. Earth that was covered with water. All of a sudden, the water wasn't just covering the whole earth like it said in the first couple of verses in the beginning of the book. But water now was being separated and land was now visible so that life can be sustained not just within the water but on land. The first thing was that vegetation happened. And he's setting the stage. So something happens in the first day. That which was hidden underwater becomes revealed. That which was not sustaining now becomes sustaining. On the third day, things begin to happen. That was the first third day. In Genesis 22nd, God talks to Abraham and says to him, Abraham was an old man who had no children, and God had promised him that he would be the father of a great nation, a father of many nations. He had no children. His wife was old. He was old. They were barren. They had no kids. God intervenes, and she has a child. And now this is the child of promise. They had another child through his uh, wife's maid, who was an Egyptian, Ishmael. Now God comes to him and he says, Your son, the one that I promised you was going to be the one that is going to bring the covenant forward. Isaac, bring him with you and take him to the mountain and sacrifice him for me. That's a huge test. How would you handle that? How would I handle that? How would anybody handle that? Abraham handled it very differently. He heard God's voice and he obeyed him. And he went ahead. And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I should show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, here it is again. Something miraculous happens on that third day. On that third day, he sees. Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and we will worship and then we will come back. What was the plan? The plan was to take the wood, make an altar, tie up Isaac, sacrifice him, and then we will come back. Abraham knew that God is faithful. Abraham knew that in his obedience, God would give him Isaac even as though from the dead. That's what we read later on. But on that day, 
the obedience of our father of the faith, Abraham, turned things around in such a way that what God asked for, he delivered and he delivered with glory. So what you're going through today may be the first or second day on your way to the mountain. You may be, God is preparing you for something. We together may be going through the first or second day and God is preparing us for something where we're going to have to sacrifice something. He may not really want us to sacrifice it the way that we think, but he wants to sacrifice from our heart. He wants us to step in obedience and he will meet us. And at that point when the animal, excuse me, when, when Abraham tied Isaac and was ready with the knife to come down, an angel showed up and says, wait, 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 not this time. And there was an animal caught in its horns in the bush there. And God says, take that animal, sacrifice him. For now I know that you are faithful. It's a day of testing. It's a day of victory. It's a day of fulfillment. Genesis 40. Joseph, Abraham's great-grandchild, Isaac, Jacob's son, Joseph, is now sold as a slave to Egypt. He was sold off. His brothers didn't like him. They wanted to get rid of him. In the mix of that, he ends up in Egypt. And he's now serving in Egypt as a servant. The wife of this master of his has interest in him. She wants to grab him and, and seduce him. He runs away. She claims that he had tried to rape her because she grabbed his clothing as he was escaping. But he was righteous. He ends up in jail. In jail, he meets Pharaoh's cupbearer, the one who serves the wine to Pharaoh, and his baker. They had offended Pharaoh somehow. And now they're in jail and they had dreams. And one of them has one dream. The other one has another dream. Joseph interprets those dreams, and they play out exactly the same way. As a matter of fact, the cupbearer had a dream that there was going to be three things that were going to happen, and then after that, something was going to change. David and, uh, Joseph interprets it, and it plays out exactly the same way. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he brought him up out of jail. And he set the one, the cupbearer, free. And he restored him to his position, the position of authority and power that he had, where he had come down all the way to be a prisoner in jail. Now he brings him up and restores him. But the other one, he gets beheaded. He gets killed. But the cupbearer has the dream and he sees. In other words, on the third day, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of correction. It's a day of restoration. It's a day of judgment and punishment as well as restoration. Joseph now is in Egypt. He's elevated because of his ability to interpret the dreams. And he tells Pharaoh about what it means to have seven fat cows and seven thin cows. There's going to be a time of plenty and then a time of famine. And Pharaoh says, what do we do? Joseph gives him a plan. He's an amazing economist. He comes up with a scheme to be able to restore and buy grain and store it and sell it later during the famine and Egypt's king Pharaoh becomes a multi-billionaire in the time and Joseph now is handed half the kingdom he's given him full authority over the kingdom except over his wife and in the midst of that his brothers who had sold him as a slave years ago come back to buy grain from Egypt and he begins to recognize them he plays a trick on them puts them in jail but on the third day Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. He did not mean to harm them. 
He meant for them to come to grips with what had happened and not to cause them to feel shame or guilt or anything like that, but to restore and bring the whole family out of the place of famine that they were into Egypt so that they can be restored to the same height of authority that he had. And it happened on the third day. It's a day of unveiling. It's a day of restoration. It's a day of bringing things to right account. Let one of your brothers stay here while you are imprisoned. And you can read the story in chapter 42. Joshua, after they came out of Egypt, Moses let them out of Egypt. Joshua was his right hand. Moses dies along the way. Now they're coming in and it's time for them to enter the promised land of Canaan. And they're not sure what they're going to do. Joshua commanded the officers of the, paper, the, uh, the people, said, pass through the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for in three days... On the third day, you are going to cross over the Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord has given you. The third day is a day of possession. It's a day of possessing that which was not yours, that which has been promised to you. It's a day that the Lord opens the things up for you to be able to enter into your destiny and receive everything that had been robbed of you, but now is yours to possess. King Hezekiah, one of the descendants of David, is ruling over Judah, the kingdom. And he got sick. In those days, the king became sick and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember now, O Lord, I implore you, how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. He was a good king. He was a righteous king. He was a king that obeyed the commands of God. He put things right in Israel. He raised up worship in Israel. He took down idols in Israel. And have done what is good in your sight. Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out in the middle court, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, Prince of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Indeed, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. On the third day, healing comes, restoration comes, the door is open to access the presence of God, the king enters into the temple of the Lord and worships him. On the third day, you are restored, you are fully healed, you're brought back to your place. The last one, Jonah. Jonah was the one that God, Jesus used as a sign of what his own suffering would be. And he told them, I'm not going to give you any other sign other than the sign of Jonah, who for three days and three nights was in the belly of the fish. And on the third day, he he was spewed out by the fish to land on land. And look, but the Lord provided a large fish to to, to swallow Jonah. Jonah was a prophet that God had told to go to the land of Nineveh, North Iraq, because there were people that were in rebellion. They were idolaters. And God told him, go and ask them to repent and to come back to their original design that I had for them, that they would worship me. And he says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. They're terrible people. Let them go to hell. He says, no, I told you to go call them to repentance. And sometimes we do that, right? We don't want to tell somebody the good news because we just don't like them. We want them to go to whatever. Is that what you do? Well, God had a way for that. He took him and he, on his way, he was going in the opposite direction. 
And God turns a fish around and the fish comes and swallows him. And on the third day, the third day, the fish expels him out of the belly of its, uh, of its belly. And on the third day, he lands on dry ground. And Jesus used that. He said, but as for Jonah, was there three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. For three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. So Jesus tied it all up together. In Persia, there was a young Jewish girl who was brought in as one of the people that were part of the harem of the king. And now the king has a wife who doesn't obey him. And he banishes her on the advice of his advisors. She didn't want to come and dance before him when he was half drunk or maybe fully drunk. She wanted to maintain her dignity. But his advisor told him, his advisors told him, Hey, hey, your king, the queen, can't do that to you. That is shameful. You're a man. She's a woman. She can't do that to you. Banish her. Lest word get out into the, the whole kingdom of Persia. And all women begin to rebel against her husbands. That's a root in Persia that is deep and it continues to this day. God have mercy on them. I'll talk about that some other time. But anyway, the king... Okay, come back here. Come back here. It's still, the mint is still in my mouth. Okay, the mint is still in my mouth. So in the midst of all of this, he now wants to select a new bride. And he is selecting this bride from all the girls, from all the nations that he had conquered. So Esther prepares herself. She spends time in preparation in... First of all, it was in, in some cleansers that will open up her pores so that all her follicles are, are nice and shiny and gleaming. And then in perfumes and oils, like a spa that you would never imagine. She spent, I think it was months. How, how long was it? Some, I think it was six months and six months, right? It was a whole year in a spa, man. Wow. Would you like to be a girl in Persia? Anyway, okay, fine. I think I may have a new act here. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so in the midst of all of this, she's prepared herself, but at the same time, she recognizes that there is a plot within the kingdom of Persia or the empire of Persia to eliminate the Jews. And the advisor to the king, to the emperor, is working a scheme to get rid of all the Jews. And now it's out in the open. But she is a Jewish girl. And what is she going to do? So her uncle, who is her advisor, comes and speaks with her. And in the midst of the conversation, she says, he says to her, Esther, don't think that just because you're in the court of the king that you can escape the lot that is going to happen to all your people. Maybe you were called to the kingdom of Persia to the time such as this. That this is now your time to stand your ground. And if you fail, you fail. But if, at least fight for the right cause. And she determines, as she says to him, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat or drink for three days. Three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king and though it is against the law and if I perish, I perish. She put herself in a situation now after the third day, on the third day, that she's going to enter the presence of the king and uphold her identity as a young Jewish girl in the midst of a kingdom that's against that. What happens on the third day is important. No matter how bad the situation, you know, Rob says, if you have nothing else that you take away, take away this. So if you have nothing to take away from today's sermon, take this away. No matter how bad the situation, there's a third day coming. No matter how tough you're going through circumstance, no matter how garbage 
your life has become. No matter how terrible. Let's look at the first and second day for a minute. What are the experiences of the first and second day? What are some of the things that they have gone through? It's a time of hiddenness. It's a time of obscurity. It's a time of solitude. It's a time where you're feeling that there's nobody with you. You are just by yourself. Life has been garbage. I could use other words. But life has been terrible. And you have dealt with corruption, injustice. You name it. But it's also a time of preparation. It's a time just like the, the butterfly goes, or the, the uh, what do you call it, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon. It's a time of preparation. And in that cocoon, the, butterf- the, the caterpillar actually dissolves. It no longer maintains who it was before it went into the cocoon. It becomes liquid. It becomes liquefied. Its DNA causes it to enter into a state of total morphosis or metamorphosis. It's going through a change. And it's going through that cocoon period of obscurity, hiddenness, and solitude. It has no idea what's going on on the outside. You may be feeling that right now in your life. And the Lord wants to speak to you today. Remember, you prayed to have your mind open and your understanding open. He wants you to understand what this resurrection of Jesus means to you in your life and how it affects it. It's a time of testing. You can go one way or the other. You can choose to turn your back on God, or you can open your heart and embrace God and say, in my life, I want to do everything you want me to do. You can turn away from God and say, no, this son of mine is a promised son. I'm not going to kill him. You're some kind of moronic God. What do you want killing a child? Or you can trust him and obey him even in the face of what is illogical, what is uncommon, what is ridiculous. And step in with him and allow him to do what he wants to do with you. It's a time of testing. And it's a time of hardship. It wasn't easy for Joseph to be in jail. It wasn't easy for Esther to be prepared. And all of a sudden, after all this preparation, she could be queen and and not have to worry about her people. She can just be the right hand of the king and, and the empire of Persia. But she had to step into a place that is now difficult. The brothers that came to Joseph that all of a sudden had to be put into custody because they had been tricked by Joseph to to bring back the whole family this way. All of them, each one, one by one. What is happening in your first or second day right now? And it's a time of waiting for the verdict. There is a verdict that's hanging over you. Every one of us. In the first and second day, we're going through a period... Of testing, and the testing brings a verdict. And it's a bit time where you're waiting for the outcome. What's going to happen with my life? I've gone through this hell. What's going on? It's a time of waiting for the vindication, where you have been totally misjudged, where you've been totally misapplied as far as justice is concerned, and you're standing in a place that is total humiliation for you. But it's a time of waiting. Jesus was betrayed by his best friends, one of the twelve. He was taken to Pilate, he was taken to Herod, and he was falsely accused. He didn't open his mouth. In the process, he was tortured. He was nailed to the cross. He died on the cross. In the first, second day, he was dead in the tomb. There's nothing else to fight for. But in the midst of all of that, he's waiting for the verdict to happen. And in the midst of that, the third day breaks forth. 
The first, the second, the third day now, the first and second were hard. But on the third day, something shakes the earth. Something shook the earth in that sealed cave that he was put in. Was rocked, solid, nailed, sealed, soldier standing. But the angel comes, rolls the stone away. And the empty tomb is now there to witness to it. What happens on the third day? It's a time of coming out. It's a time of emergence. It's a time where you have, from the hiddenness and the obscurity that you've been hidden in for such a long time, the Lord is now making a way for you to step out into your destiny. It's a time of obedience. The, the obedience that you suffered through the first and second day gets you the win. And that win brings reversal and deliverance. Can you imagine reversal in your situation right now? You probably can't. What human could imagine reversal to death? What human can imagine the king would not call her out? It's a time of new life after the the hiddenness or the death. That's what the third day stands for. It's a time of healing. It's a time of deliverance. You are that close to your third day. You are just moments away from your third day. You may still feel that you're just starting out in your first day. However long it is, it's not going to be that long. So the message of the resurrection of Jesus is the message of the resurrection on the third day. That he broke out from the things that held him back on the first and second day. The grave cloth that had him tied down in in a tomb. And that he could do nothing. There was nothing that he could have done to bring himself back to life. But the Spirit of God breathed life into him. And the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in your mortal bodies as a believer. And if you're not a believer today, you could have that same Spirit of God live inside of you. And today could be the day of your deliverance. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life with God in your life, walking with you, talking with you, changing you inside out, second by second. And it's a day of restoration. It's a day of bringing back everything that had been stolen from you. The third day restores The third day is the day that the Lord has appointed for the land to resurface from the water. It's the day that he appointed for the vegetation to fill the land and greenery. I'm watching this program on Netflix called Our Planet. Wow! The glory that God has put into this planet. The beauty of what the trees and the plants and the animals. and It's unbelievable. If you have a chance to watch the first episode, you will be blown away. It's a good investment of your time. It will bring into focus to you the beauty of what God has created and the the glory of God that is all over this planet. But we look at it in the context of the uh, concrete jungle that we live in sometimes in the city and we miss the beauty of what God has done. And that's what the Lord wants to restore. That's what He created and put into motion on that third day. He separated the land out from the water and it was born And the land was born, the planet was born afresh. And that's what he did with Jesus. Out of the tomb, he took out that body, back out into resurrection, glorious body. And he wants to do the same with you today. He wants to bring you to your third day. So no matter what you're going through, hang on. Your third day is coming. Amen? Amen. Say it out loud. My third day is coming. My third day is coming. My third day is coming. 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 
Father, we thank you that your promises are never void. Your promises are always true. Your faithfulness has demonstrated itself throughout all generations. And in the same way, Lord, that you took Jesus and brought him out of the tomb. We sang it earlier. I ran out of that grave. The Lord wants to do the same with us in every situation. Not only on the day of resurrection, when the judgment will take place, and the Lord will judge the living and the, and, and the dead, but He wants to do it today. He wants to bring you out of your grave today. 2015. 2016. October 1st. I was going through so much pain. I got sick and tired of taking the Advil extra strength that I was taking between 15 and 16, or 12 and 16 a day. And it was just doing things inside my body. I was, don't want to experience the effects, the side effects of what Advil would do to you. And I was in pain and I was limping and it was causing me all kinds of grief. And in the middle of the service, I heard the words from God, the spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in your mortal bodies and will bring life to your mortal bodies. And I said, yes, Lord, in resurrection. He said, no, right now. So I stopped all medication. And I was fine. I had no pain. I was not limping anymore. The deterioration was still there. But the Lord wanted to use that as an illustration of something that when we step into faith, when I step into trusting Him, He will restore. He will do things that are glorious. And today the Lord wants to do the same with you. So let's stand up and just... End our service with a word of prayer. Say it one more time. My third day is coming. Father, we hold on tight to the promise of your third day. Lord, you have shown your power on this day throughout history. You have manifested your glory on the third day. Lord, days are just days. But what they represent, the symbolism behind them is what we're after. Because you can do that on the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, and the seventh, and the eighth. And you can do it all through every time. But today we trust you for that symbolic third day that is awaiting for each one of us. We claim it by the promise of your word. The word that has been, throughout scripture, been demonstrated to be faithful. We thank you and we bless you. And we receive your promise individually and corporately today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is risen. On the third day, he rose again. Your third day is coming. Go and get your third day. God bless you. Have a wonderful time outside as we celebrate together.